Father, you are the one who said man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So we thank you for feeding us with the body and blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, for giving us your Spirit in all his fullness, and for giving us your word. And our request, Lord, is that you might feed us with your word, that your Holy Spirit may lead us into truth, setting us free, the truth that sets us free, free from wrong thinking, free from living in the past, free to live lives to the glory and praise of God. Father, open our imaginations, open our hearts, open our eyes to understand your word, that we may come to know you better. For Jesus' sake. Amen. If you want to follow where I am, I am in Joshua chapter 5. This thrilling subheading from the NIV, circumcision at Gilgal, that makes your mind real, doesn't it? Anyway, that's not scripture, that's just added little bits to help us work our way through the scripture, so I won't read that. We'll read from verse 1. Now, when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until we had crossed over, their hearts sank and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeath Haraloth, if that's how you pronounce it. Now this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the desert on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the desert during the journey from Egypt had not. The Israelites had moved about in the desert 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land that he had solemnly promised their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place, and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today... I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate of the produce of Canaan. Now I'm assuming we don't need to explain what a circumcision is. That's a relief, because you can't say that to every congregation, and it saves me getting into all sorts of problems. But as long as we can assume um, we know what circumcision is, that's fine. One child in his history, in his history exam, said that Christopher Columbus circumcised the world with his Clipper. The eyes water, don't they? But anyway, um, so 
You know what circumcision is. Good, we don't have to talk about that then. Right, so just before we get into that, um, I may have used this illustration before, but let, in case I haven't, um, and even if, it, if I'd have, it's a good one anyway, a chap is leading a business day for business folk, a sort of training day for business people, and he's been talking all day long, and he comes to the end, and he wants to leave them with an impressive message. So he carries onto the platform a big bucket and into the bucket, he puts large stones until he can't get any more large stones in the bucket. Now, I could have brought a, the, the real visual aid, but I would have weighed down my car. So anyway, imagine that I've got a big bucket here, and it's full of large stones. And he holds it up before this group of businessmen and says, is the bucket full? And they say, <laughs> you clever dicks, aren't you? You knew this story. Okay, they say, no, yes, it is. And he goes, no, it's not. Then he gets a big sack of smaller pebbles and puts them in the bucket, and they all fall in the little gaps between the larger stones. And then he says to them, is the bucket full? And they say, no, of course, because they're getting the story, aren't they? And then he does it with sand, and then he does it with water, and the bucket's full. And, of course, then every visual aid has to have a point. So he says, what's the point of this visual aid? And some bright spark from the back says, it doesn't matter how full your diary is, you can still stuff something else in there. <laughs> Thus speaks a true businessman. And he says, no, that's not the answer. The answer is, if you don't get the big rocks in first, you'll never get them in. If you don't get the big rocks in first, you'll never get them in because you'll fill up the bucket with all the small stuff. And it will be impossible. So this session this morning is just never lose sight of what's important. What's important. We have a variety of ages here. And I guess one thing that increasing age gives you is a longer perspective on life. And I suspect it means you evaluate things on a different time scale. What you thought was vital at 21 from the perspective of a much older age, says, oh, that's actually irrelevant. What's really important in life is, you see what's really important, not what's urgent. And now is always the best moment to do the important thing. Don't leave it till tomorrow. If you knew you only had one more day to live, what would you do? If you knew for sure that you only have one more day to live. A friend of ours was diagnosed with brain tumour and eventually it was clear that the law was not going to heal her. And she was in hospital. And when she came to that conclusion with her husband, she said to her husband, right, she said, I want the entire family here. Get everybody here. I don't know where they live. Get them all here. I want to talk to every single one. I haven't got long. Tell them I haven't got long. And before I die, I want to speak to every single one. What would you do if you only had one day to live? And the obverse of that is, well, you don't know how long you've got, so why don't you do it anyway? If it's a letter to write, write it. If it's a phone call to make, make it. If it's something to say, say it. Don't leave it. Today is the right time for doing the important thing. There's been military preparation for them. Two spies have gone into the land to check out the land, to discover that actually the land is ripe for picking. Everyone is terrified of them. There's been the crossing of the River Jordan, mimicking the crossing of the Red Sea, so they're now physically in the right place. And now you'd think they would be poised to take the land. The land is melting before them. They're in the right place. 
But just at that moment, there's an important thing to do which will actually render them completely useless as an army. Because circumcision is eye-wateringly painful. And there's a story in Genesis about some of Jacob's sons who, in retribution for the rape of their sister, trick the man who raped her and his family and the entire city into becoming circumcised. And then when they're all being circumcised and they're still in pain, two men wipe the whole city out because these guys are not in a fit state to fight. So this is not good preparation for fighting. It renders them absolutely useless, but it's important. And that's the point. You see, they're about to enter into all that God has for them. But God says, not until you get the first things first. We must do the right thing, but we must always do the right thing in the right way. Do you know what God's got in store for this year? Because I don't. If you do, tell me. But I've been reading a book that Jenny and, and Jim lent to me, a lady I know very well, whose just book is about um, reflecting over the last 20 years or so, particularly, 20 years ago, this woman with a group of other people was given a very, very clear vision at Ashburnham Place of all places, but a very clear vision of, of some extraordinary move of the Spirit of God in this area. And she's, she's certain, as you can be, that this is about to happen. She's not saying it's going to happen, but all the signs seem to point to it. What's God got in store? We don't know. Here are the people here. They know they're at the land now. They've got things ahead. We know the story because we've read it. You've read Joshua before. You know what happens. But they don't. They're only up to chapter 5. They don't know what happens in chapter 6. They don't know there's a chapter 6, do they? You've got to remember that's how it works. So they're getting prepared for that. And preparation isn't just what we think it is. It's doing the right thing. Getting first things first. It's an appropriate message to speak to you on Covenant Sunday. Because that's all about just at the beginning of saying, Lord, we just want to be right with you. We just want to make sure everything's as it should be. Keeping short accounts. It's a lovely message to preach on a communion Sunday, which is all about us coming back to the cross and saying, Lord, no matter how far I've got in my life, I come back to this point. This is where it all starts. I just want to get right things right. So Israel can only inherit the land if they have in their bodies the mark of the covenant. Women don't have to have it because it's on the reproductive organ of the men. Therefore, it is, as it were, involved in every act of procreation and every child is marked with it, if you can put it that way. This is the mark of God's promise. You see, they've been here before. Well, not physically here. If I had a map here, when I could do clever things like PowerPoint, I'd have maps and things, but I can't do that sort of stuff, so I'm a pretty low-tech guy. But anyway, sort of, there's Israel. They're in this point so far on the east, but they've been there before, 40 years ago. Well, it's not quite 40 years, about 38 years ago, but anyway, there before, entering in the land. Do you remember what they did? They sent 12 spies in, didn't they? And 10 came back and said, not on your life. And stirred up fear and disobedience. And so the people said, no, we're not going in. And the two, Caleb and Joshua, said, yeah, it's fine. It is what they say, but God is with us. We can do it. 
But they didn't listen to the two faithful spies, they listened to the ten faithless spies and said we can't do it, in which case God said, well, you say it's because it's the little ones who will have a problem going in the land. It's not, it's because you're scared to death. But for that reason, all of you of 20 years old and older are not going to go in the land at all. You're going to die. And for 40 years, they've been wandering in circles in the desert, waiting for these last people to die before they can go in the land. So now it's a new generation. And in that 40 years, they haven't circumcised any people. We don't know why. It wasn't that they sort of, you know, did a Jim and Jenny holiday, you know, moving from every place every 10 minutes, you know, with their little camper van. They've stayed in some places for a year. Some places probably for many more than that. I think there are 38 different locations they go to. Between 40, that's got to be at least a year in some, hasn't it? Probably a lot longer. So there's been good opportunities for doing it. But they, anyway, for one reason or another, they haven't circumcised this people. So the people are just poised on the end of the land and God says, stop before you go any further. Now is the point to put this right. My friends, that's always relevant. Because some things, like when John was speaking about God speaking to him and saying, what do you want? That's a good question. God says, what would you like me to do for you? That's good. But sometimes God says, and now I have your attention, can I tell you what I want to do for you? Which is not on your agenda, but it's on mine. That's all important. Often God gets our attention and then tells us something we had not been thinking about. And says, and we say, okay, Lord, I'll do it some other time. No, do it now. Yeah, yeah, some other time. Lord. No, this is the important thing. Because unless we do this, we can't move on. This is an irrelevant thing that they're going to do here. It's not going to make them fitter as people. It's not going to make them stronger soldiers. It's not in preparation for warfare, but it's about reassuring themselves that they are the people of God. Is there something outstanding in your life? Is there some issue that you need to deal with? Some matter that really shouldn't be put off any longer? Do it now. Don't put it off. The reason you put it off is because it's uncomfortable. The reason you put it off is because you don't want to do it. Isn't that why? If you'd wanted to do it and it was good, you'd have done it already, wouldn't you? The reason it hasn't been done is because it's not that. My friends, now is the moment to do it. You see, otherwise we just walk around in circles. We don't do it. We just walk around in circles until we do it. Your life going nowhere? It's because you're walking around in circles. Because you're not doing the one thing that God wants you to do. If they had not been circumcised, this lot would have been kicked out of the land. God would have done it. If they said, nope, we're not going to do that, he'd have said, out. Get out then, it'll be the next generation that goes in then. He would not have allowed them to do that because they needed to be people of the covenant. So the gross disobedience of the last group meant that they were not allowed, perhaps, to have the mark of the covenant in them. They were not allowed to carry the mark of God's grace with them because they were not a people living in that grace. They were disobedient, grumbling, grouching folk. But this new generation who've taken over from them now can bear in their bodies the mark and sign and seal of God's covenant. It's an act of grace of God. As we're going to see as we go, continue to go through this story, it's all about the grace of God. It's not about what they do. It's about what God has done. Now, in New Testament terms, the sign of the covenant, of course, is not circumcision. But it's actually baptism. Isn't it? Baptism. And you know, I still meet Christians who say, oh, I don't feel ready for baptism. As if it's a kind of 
staging post along the journey. And when you reach, reach a certain holiness of life, you can be baptized. Where does baptism belong? Right at the beginning, isn't it? 3,000 people on the day of Pentecost believed and were baptized. How long do you think it took them to do 3,000 people? More than 10 minutes, I guess. But before they did anything else, that was the first thing. They were not any different at that point, were they? They hadn't actually grown as Christians. They hadn't met time. I'm not suggesting there's anything wrong in baptismal classes and, and that sort of stuff. What I'm saying is your baptism belongs to the beginning of your life spiritually. It's not a badge of holiness. It's not a sign of spiritual maturity. It's a sign that says, I am the Lord's and he is mine. So if you haven't been baptized, and I'm in the happy position of not knowing who's been baptized and who's not, so I can speak quite freely because I'm not getting at anybody. But if you haven't been baptized, my question is, why not? What good reason do you have for not being baptized? And I don't say that to make you uncomfortable and think, oh, he's just getting at me because I don't know who you are. I'm just saying it's one of those important things that needs to happen. Because that's when it's all about the beginning of life. And when you get that right thing happening, then things can start. Truly. Now you say it's just about getting wet. Well, it is about getting wet. You will get wet, thoroughly wet. People will have photographs of you proving the fact you're wet. But it's more than that. God said he didn't give us much to do specifically, but this was one, and baptism was the other, wasn't it? Foot washing was the third, if you want to do that one, but not many people seem to take that one too seriously, but I'm surprised, really. This might become the first church in East Sussex that does regular foot washing. You have communion on one Sunday and foot washing on another, and who knows, baptism on the third, because there are so many people who want to be baptized every month. You have a baptismal service. I don't want to labor the point. Every believer in Jesus should be baptized as soon as possible so the journey can begin. And now also the Passover is celebrated. Now they haven't been celebrating the Passover for all those years. They've been wandering here, then everywhere. It hasn't been practical, presumably. But also, because no circumcised male can eat the Passover, they've not been qualified to eat the Passover. So once they're baptised, now they can eat. And they can eat and celebrate in style. And this will be their annual for them, it's, for us, it's much more regular than that, but their annual remembrance of the good things that God has done, even as they go into the land, it is their constant reminder that God is with them, that God has done this for them, that God will continue to do it. That's what this is all about. If God did not hold back his son, but freely gave it for us, will he not always freely give us everything else as well? This is the proof, my friends, that God will do what is necessary. It's a wonderful, wonderful visual aid. By the way, it's the best visual aid of all. It touches all five senses, doesn't it? Visual aid is meant to sort of appeal to an extra sense. Well, that one does to all five. Think about it. They are never to forget what God has done for them. And this will give them courage for the days ahead. They don't know what's coming. They need courage. This sets us off with courage into the future. Tomorrow, what are you going to be doing this time tomorrow morning? Quarter past 12. So it's tomorrow afternoon. What are you going to be doing? God is with you. On Tuesday afternoon, God is with you. Every day of the week, God is with you. Wherever you are, whoever you're with, God is with you. This is the proof of that. 
This is a regular meal. I hope you don't just eat food once a month. You eat regularly, don't you? Because you need the sustaining. This is what this is all about, the sustaining grace of God, the what constant desire of us, Lord, I come to you, let my heart be changed and renewed. So for us, it's the communion service. We never want to forget what God has done for us. We always want to remember him. And celebrating this gives us courage to live the days ahead. And of course, as they begin entering in the land, they're physically in the land, the manna ceases. The miraculous food ceases. There's a lot of talk about miracles, but let me say this to you. Miracles are, by definition, out of the ordinary. If they were normal, they wouldn't be miracles. That's it, isn't it? So we can be miracle expectant, but not miracle dependent. You got the difference? Because life normally is normal, isn't it? Miracles are unusual and therefore odd in that way. So just because you don't see loads of miracles happening in your life, God is with you. They're now going to have no more manna miraculously provided for them day by day. They've got to do the stuff. They've got to plant the trees. Well, the trees are planted, but they've got to trim the trees. They've got to plant the crops. They've got to harvest the grain. They've got to work. This is be God's provision. So whether God gives you, in healing terms, a miraculous healing like that, or whether he uses doctors, nurses, physiotherapists, other technicians to do it, it doesn't really matter, does it? I have a friend of mine, he's got that many name, letters after his name, as a doctor. We, we first met with our sleeves rolled up down a drain, clearing it out. But anyway, we were at college together, this great <coughs> physician, surgeon. I remember talking to Alan and saying, Alan... What's your reckoning on, on healing then? He said, it's all miraculous. He said, Charles, it's all miraculous. I don't do any healing, he said. All I do is open people up, fiddle around a bit, and put it back together again. He said, I don't do any healing. I thought, that's a, I'm glad you're not working on me. Fiddle around a bit. But anyway, that's what he said. He said, I just fiddle around a bit. I take bits out, I put bits in. He said, but I can't heal it. God heals it. He uses the normal processes in the body to do it, but I can't do it, he said. I just sew the person together. And if the conditions are right, it will work. So he was convinced. If God does it with a word or in a month, it's both the same, isn't it? And that's true in every area of life. So whether you see miracles this week of wonderful provision or not, don't worry. God is with you. You plant the seed, God will water it. You, you water it and God gives the increase. Isn't that right? So from now on, they would share with God the responsibility of growing their own food, living out life in step with God. And that, for most of us, is what life is normally about, isn't it? Step by step, walking with God. So this week, consciously be aware that God is with you. And what you're doing, you're doing with him. Whether it's what you did last week or the week before, or some extra special thing, it's with you. Remember the story? If you don't get the big rocks in first, you'll never get them in. Now is always the right time to do the important thing.